Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we share insightful lessons from selling over 1,000 companies. What really matters when you're building a business how to grow a company, and what mistakes to avoid if you want to exit big with our guest, Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting, and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we shared some incredible lessons on scaling and building big digital content brands with our previous guest, Victoria Montgomery Brown. Now, for our interview with Michelle. Michelle Seiler Tucker is the author of Exit Rich, the 6P method to sell your business for huge profit, and the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. She has sold hundreds of businesses to date and currently owns and operates several successful companies. She is a leading authority on buying, selling, and improving businesses as well as increasing revenue. She's appeared in Forbes, CNBC, Fox Business and has been a celebrity judge on Pitch Tank alongside Steve Forbes and previous Science of Success guest, John Mackey. Michelle, welcome to the Science of Success. 
Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. M&A is one of my own personal kind of favorite topics. And so I'm really excited to dig into all of the lessons and strategies that you've uncovered. But I'd love to, before we, we really get into the meat of it, just hear a little bit about your background and, and how you got into the M&A world. Sure. So I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I started, I think I had my first business at the age of 15. But then I kind of got sucked into corporate America where I started working for Xerox. And within six months of Xerox, they wanted to, they wanted me to interview for regional manager over 85 salespeople. And they told me you'll never get the job, but you should do it for the experience. So I did it. My nickname at Xerox was a closer. So anyway, I interviewed for it. I did get the position. So I was traveling all the time and I wasn't selling anymore. I was managing 85 salespeople. I approached a franchise company about buying one of their franchises to operate on the side while I still worked at Xerox. They said, we, we don't want you to buy a franchise. We'll give you a franchise if you partner with us. So I ended up doing that. I ended up partnering with them for about six months while I still worked at Xerox and in, ended up making more money in six months than I made an entire year with my corporate job and ended up leaving Xerox. So I went into franchise development, franchise sales, and franchise consulting. From there, I ended up, they bought me out after a period of time, and then I transitioned into mergers and acquisitions and started selling businesses. I learned very quickly, though, and Steve Forbes says that eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. Eight out of 10 businesses do not sell for a multitude of reasons. So then I transitioned into fixing businesses, growing businesses, and building to sell companies so they actually will sell and not close. So that's kind of how I transitioned into it. I've been doing it for 20 years with sold over a thousand companies. And I also buy businesses. I partner with business owners and I help save businesses from closing. Such a cool background. And I love that quote. I've, I've heard various statistics, whether it's 80%, 90% of businesses that are listed never sell. So mm -hmm. interesting. Tell me a little bit more about why that's the case. So I, th I think the number one reason why that's the case is that business owners never think about selling that. They never think about selling until they absolutely have to due to a catastrophic event occurring. And that could be an internal or an external catastrophic event that occurs. And the problem when that happens is that the business is typically trending downward, not upward. And the business is not really doing as well. And buyers typically don't want to buy businesses that are failing. They want to do businesses that are doing, buy businesses that are doing well. So the best time to buy your business is when your business is, I mean, best time to sell your business is when your business is doing good and trending upward. So I will tell you in all the years I've been doing this, thousands upon thousands of businesses, I've never met any business owner that truly plans their exit from day one. And that's what business owners should do. That's such a great insight. When you think about whether it's starting a company, buying a company, day one, how do you start to prepare that company for exit? Yeah. So in Exit Rich, I talk about this in Exit Rich at great length. I call it the ST, Siler Tucker GPS exit model. And it's really all about starting with the end game and reverse engineering it. So kind of like a GPS, what do you do? You know where you're starting from, the GPS, you plug in your destination, and then a GPS plans out the quickest path to get you there. Well, with a business owner, you know, they need to plan out, I want to sell my business for $5 million. What time frame do I want to sell that for? I want to sell my business for $5 million in five years. Well, what is your business worth right now? 
You would be surprised, Matt, how many business owners have absolutely 1,000% no idea what their business is worth today. Most business owners never get evaluation on their business until they think about selling. When what you really should be doing is getting a business evaluation every year in order to get you to that end game. So it's really important to, to plan your final destination, your final sales price, know where you're starting from, know your time frame, and know who your buyers are going to be. There's five different types of buyers. So if you are in a manufacturing business and you want to sell for $20 million, that's your end game. And you really need to figure out, well, who buys manufacturing businesses? Who buys manufacturing businesses for $20 million? It's not going to be a first-time buyer. It's not going to be a turnaround specialist. It's probably going to be a private equity group. And if it's a private equity group, then your EBITDA needs to be over $3 million. So you really need to figure out who are your buyers going to be and then build your business to suit their buying criteria. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great insight. And, and I want to dig into a couple pieces of that. Let's start with, you touched on a few of these, but tell me more about the different buyer types. Yeah, so there's five types of buyers. Number one is first-time buyers. 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. Then there's private equity groups, PEGs. Private equity groups buy two ways. Private equity groups buy based upon platform and add-on. So platform means the private equity group wants to get into manufacturing. Let's say they want to get into food manufacturing, but they don't, but they don't have that now. So they will buy a big enough company with an EBITDA of at least $3 million and up for a platform. Now let's say they're already in food manufacturing. Then they'll look at add-ons for their platform and they'll consider companies under a million dollars in EBITDA for add-ons, but never for a platform. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And then you have your strategic slash competitors. Now strategics and competitors buy synergies. They're looking for those synergies. They're looking for economies of scale. They're looking for something that they currently don't have that could catapult their business to the next level. For instance, we had an oil manufacturing business that had a couple of patents. It appraised in a $9.8 million range. We had 550 interested buyers. We got it down to about 12 different LOIs. We found a strategic who had similar business, a similar product and service but they were never able to get into BP. This client, 60% of their revenue was tied up in BP. They had a very good relationship with them. This buyer wanted to buy that contract because they knew if they could buy this company, finally get their foot in the door to get their products and services in that MBP, that they could not only ROI, ROI off of that business, but catapult their business to the next level. So they paid $15 million dollars for 70% of the company, there were two owners. One retained 30% plus his benefits plus his salary. And that company was able to get their products and services into BP. So strategists and competitors are always looking for that competitive edge. They're always looking for that synergy. And they're willing to pay more. And that's where a bidding war comes in. They're willing to pay more, not bet everybody else, to buy that particular synergy, especially if it can help their existing business. Or if it can help them with economy of skills. You know, they could perhaps buy a business and cut operating costs by 50% because they have the team. They have, you know, distribution centers. They have fulfillment centers. They have everything that, that could cut the cost of the current company that they want to purchase. 
So those are competitors and strategic. So fourth type of buying buyers are sophisticated serial entrepreneurs. Now these buyers are industry agnostic. They care more about EBITDA. They're really EBITDA focused and they don't really care. Like we have serial entrepreneurs that have hospitals, <laughs> construction, you know, casinos. It's all over the map. And many of these serial entrepreneurs will give us LOIs on all of our new engagements because they are in, they are EBITDA focused, not industry focused. Then your last type of buyer is turnaround specialist. Those are buyers that are looking to buy distressed assets. And right now there's a lot of distressed assets with COVID. There were a lot of distressed assets before COVID, but there are a lot more now. So turnaround specialists will buy these distressed assets. Those are the five types of buyers. Got it. That was really insightful. And I love some of the examples and stories you gave around how strategics can kind of think differently about acquisitions, maybe pay a higher price, et cetera. I'm curious when you look at, for example, maybe we're getting too in the weeds, but when you look at sophisticated serial entrepreneurs as a buyer type, when you say they're more EBITDA focused, do you, does that tend to be more focused around value, i.e. they're not willing to pay over five times or seven times or whatever that multiple might be? Are they focused on certain lower middle market, you know, up to larger scale, kind of where typically are you seeing kind of that segment focus? Yeah. So for sophisticated, it's typically lower middle market and up there, you know, it just depends. <laughs> They're not as willing to pay a higher multiple as a strategic is or as a competitor, or maybe even a peg who's looking for some add-ons. And the reason for that is because their industry, they're so industry diverse that Buying that one synergy doesn't really help them in their specific businesses. Does that make sense? Because they yeah. are so industry diverse. Whereas if you get a strategic or a competitor, like right now we have an online e-commerce business that we're selling and the company that's looking at buying them has multiple fulfillment centers around the country. They could, because of economy of scale, they could cut that cost in half. You know, they could cut that cost in half and really increase the EBITDA double the EBITDA overnight because of the fulfillment centers that they have. So strategic competitors are much more willing to put a value on those synergies. And there are six different types of synergies we really look at. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tell me about those. <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask. <laughs> so... We talk about this in Exit Rich as well, and those are called the six P's. So every time we go in and value a business, I always look at the six P's. Like I just met with a construction company yesterday that will probably sell in the $70 million range. Their EBITDA is over $12 million. The six P's, number one is people. 
you cannot operate a business without people. You know, you don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. So you have to have the right people in the right seats and you have to have a management team in place. Buyers don't want to buy a job. They want to buy a business with people. And let me tell you something. That's the synergy that a lot of buyers are willing to pay more for. If a company has huge talent, like we want some an advertising agency that specialized in casinos with another advertising agency because they had talent that this other advertising agency really wanted to pay for. So we always look at people, you know, do we have the right people in the right seats? Do we have a management team in place? Is the business dependent upon the owner? If the business is dependent upon the owner, that could hurt the value of the sell. Or the buyer might want to buy a percentage of the business and not 100% of it. We also look at, you know, how long those people have been there? Are the employee handbooks in place? Do they have non-competes? You know, what's their packages look like? The second P is product. So every one of your listeners right now, Matt, should be asking themselves, is my industry on the way up or on the way out? Is my product thriving or dying? You know, before COVID, there were industries that were thriving. After COVID, those industries are now dying and vice versa. Hospitality restaurants are doing terrible right now. But manufacturing that wasn't doing really well before COVID is huge right now and doing fantastic. Healthcare is doing great. So there's a lot, there are a lot of industries that are thriving right now. So you always have to ask yourself, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Are you a blockbuster or are you an Amazon? And if your business, if your product is on the way out, then ask yourself, what business am I in right now? And what business should I be in? Steve Jobs, let me illustrate that point for you. Steve Jobs, not founder of Apple, him, Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs founded Apple. But Steve Jobs, when he came back to Apple, he asked one brilliant question. He asked everybody, what business are we in? And they all said the computer business. He said, no, what business are we in? And I said, a computer business. And he's like, what business should we be in? We should be in a communications business. Everyone around the world should have one of these. Everyone around the world should be able to communicate with each other from their pocket. That's how the iPhone was created. That's how the iPod, the iPad, the i everything was created because of that one question alone. Business owners need to learn how to pivot. I don't know if you know this, but when I wrote my, my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 95, 85 to 95% of all startups would fail. All startups within one to five years. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, I did the same research and I was flabbergasted that the business landscape has changed so dramatically. It's not that anymore. Now it's only 30% of startups are at risk, only 30%. But out of 26.9 million companies, now put that in perspective, there are 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. If small businesses fail, the economy fails. Out of 27.6 million businesses, those businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of those companies will go out of business. 70%. You hear about the big box stores all the time. JCPenney's, Toys R Us, Dymart, GNC just closed down 900 locations, Kmart. What you're not hearing about are the private companies on every, every street corner in every town and every state across our great nation. These businesses are dropping like flies. And they're having to sell for pennies on the dollar, close their business, or be forced into filing for bankruptcy. And when you lose your business assets, you typically lose your family assets too because most business owners co-mingle their assets. So 
it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be all gloom and doom. The reason why businesses are failing, and I'll get back to the six Ps, is because business owners stop doing two things. I call it aim. They stop, they stop aiming. They stop innovating and marketing. They become complacent. They have a product. They have a service. They don't do anything to pivot. They stop asking our customers, what will it, what do you want? What do you need? What will make it easy for you to do business with us? Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them are the ones who are going to win. Amazon's winning because they make it so easy to buy anything at any time and get it delivered in two days. And business owners have stopped asking those questions. So product was the second P. So you have to ask yourself, what business are you in? What business should you be in? You have to pivot and you have to innovate and market. And then the third, the third P that we evaluate businesses on are processes. You know, are the processes efficient? Are they productive? Processes can break a company. They can bankrupt a company. They can cause huge customer dissatisfaction and completely bankrupt a, a company. So you got to ask yourself, are your processes efficient? Are they productive? Are they in PPP manuals? Are they in SOP um, checklist? Are the employees trained on them? Are they designed? And here's the most important thing about processes. Are they designed with the customer experience in mind? Did you ever watch the movie, The Founder? Yeah, great movie. Great movie. The McDonald brothers, right? Not Ray Crockett. The McDonald brothers went to an empty tennis court field and practiced for hours upon hours upon hours their processes. Who's going to take the order? Who's going to toast the buns? Who's going to cook the burger? Who's going to put the mustard on, the, uh, on there? Who's going to put the two pickles? <laughs> and who's going to bag it up and give it to the client? With the customer experience in mind, what were they trying to create back in those days? Remember, that was back in the 50s. They were trying to create quality food speed, right? Very quickly because they had to drive up restaurants back then and it was very, very slow. So their USP, unique selling proposition was speed. Good food, good food that tastes good, fast, right? So you got to make sure that you design your processes with the customer experience in mind. Then the fourth P, which really, Matt, is probably the highest value driver, and we talk about this in Exit Rich, is proprietary proprietary intellectual property and there are six pillars of proprietary. I'm not going to get into all of them. Um, but number one is branding. You know, how well branded are you? It's very important for business owners to brand themselves and brand their company. Steve Jobs did a great job of branding himself and branding Apple. And you got to ask yourself how well branded you are because the Coca-Cola brand alone will sell for $89 billion. That's without assets, inventory, cash flow, real estate, McDonald's alone. Their brand is worth, I think, over $100 billion. The biggest brand, you know who the biggest brand is? I would have guessed either Coke or McDonald's, so you've, you've got me. Apple, oh. $360 billion. Makes sense. $360 billion. yep. So it's really important to build a brand. It's very important to trademark your company name, federal trademark, federal trademark. So any of your listeners that have a company, make sure you get a federal trademark. Local trademark is not good enough. You could find yourself in court spending hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to protect your name, trying to protect your slogan, you know, trying to protect your intellectual property. So make sure you get federal trademarks. Also, if you have something unique 
employees get patents. Patents are huge value drivers. We once sold a company um, that had 18 patents. The appraisal price was in a $10 million range. We got $18 million for it. I say we got a million dollars a patent. <laughs> and that, by the way, is for 80% of the company. And so those are really important. So branding, federal trademarks, patents. Now, here's a big one for your listeners. Contracts. Contracts. Client contracts. So we're still a manufacturing company right now, and they're manufacturing in Canada, and they have no contract in place. And they have no backup plan. <laughs> so if That's something crazy. happens in Canada, exactly. But these are the type of st stories you hear all the time. You'd be surprised. I mean, we could just have a show on the mistakes that business owners make. And it would take hours upon hours to tell you all the mistakes. But you have to have contracts. You have to have distributor contracts, manufacturing contracts, vendor contracts. Most importantly, the biggest value driver is client contracts. But the biggest mistake the business owners make, I'll tell you, 99% of business owners get this wrong. They do not put a simple transfer clause in their contracts. Very smart. And 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. And if those contracts are not transferable and the buyer won't do a stock sale, most buyers don't want to do stock sales for a multitude of reasons, then you're in trouble. We sold a medical transportation company in Kansas City and they had about, I don't know, 300, 400, 500 contracts. And I told them from the beginning, go back and enter that clause. They never did. But they told me they did. So they lied to me. <laughs> then I had a buyer. We were, go, we're going through the diligence. I'm like, where's the transferability clause? And I go, oh, well, we meant to get to that. So my client's like, that's done. We're, it's, de it's dead. It's a dead deal. I ended up getting my client, the buyer, to agree to do a stock sale. But... You got to make sure that those contracts are transferable. The other thing that's really, really big value driver, and nobody thinks about this, is databases. Huge. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. $19 billion. And WhatsApp was making how much money? I have no idea. Zero. <laughs> they were hemorrhaging. They were losing money like crazy. But they had a billion users, and Facebook knew that's a synergy. They could catapult Facebook to the next level if we buy WhatsApp and they pay $19 billion to get a billion users. So databases are huge. Another thing that's really big, and let's say there's some e-commerce clients that you have that are listening. And let's say they have one of the number one spots on Wayfair or they're selling products on Amazon and they have that competitive edge because they're the only one selling this gadget or they're number two on Wayfair or they have Glenn Beck selling their product you know, product endorsements. That is all what we call business real estate. That's extremely valuable and buyers will pay a premium for that. Okay. So IP is the number one value driver. The fourth P is patrons. It's very imperative to have a diversified clientele base because if 70 or 80% of your revenue is tied up in a one to two, two or three clients, you're in big trouble. That advertising company I told you about that specializes in casinos, we value them at about $10 million. Problem is they have five clients, five casinos. They lost two in the process. Uh-oh. And the revenues dropped by 50%, almost by 50%. But they still had to keep the overhead and keep the talent for the other casinos that they had. And then the last P that we evaluate businesses on is profit. Everybody wants to make a profit. I always say, Matt, that profit is never the problem, always a symptom of not running on one of the other five Ps. 
If you don't have people, the right people in the right seats, if you don't have the right management team in place, then you're going to have a problem with profits. You're going to lose money. If your product is dying and not thriving, you're going to lose money, right? If your processes are not efficient and productive, you're going to lose money. If your IP is not protected, you can spend lots of money trying to protect your IP, which again will cost you money. I mean, I've seen businesses be put out of business because they did not protect their IP. So those are the six P's that we evaluate businesses on. Yeah, that's a great insight. And, and the, the notion of profit being a symptom of your processes, your people, et cetera, really, really insightful way of, of thinking about it. And that's a, that's a great takeaway. Thank you. I want to jump around a little bit. One of the things you touched on earlier that I, that I think is really interesting, and, and I feel like you see this a lot in, in the, the M&A world, how do you think about the disconnect a lot of times between sellers' expectations around the business value and what the market values the business at? <laughs> That's a great question because it, it is a mess. <laughs> so, you know, when we, when we talked about earlier about Steve Forbes saying eight out of 10 businesses don't sell, I would say the number one reason they don't sell is because of expectations. Sellers come to me and say, Michelle, I want $15 million for my business. I'm like, okay, let's look at the financials. I say, how do you come up with that? And Matt, this is what they all say. Something like this. Well, you know, that's what I need to live on. Or that's what I need to retire on. Or that's what I need to send my kids to college. Or that's what I need to divorce my spouse. Or that's, <laughs> or that's what I need to buy my next masterpiece or start my next masterpiece. It's all about what they need to do next, not about, about what their business is worth today. So their value is based upon what the next phase of their life looks like versus what the value of your business really is. So the way that, that we work with clients is we educate them. We do very extensive valuations, probably the most extensive in the industry. We base it on the six P's that I just took you through. And we base it upon, you know, we do uh, methods, the, the method approach, which is asset approach, uh, discounted cash flow, income market approach. And then we also look at the buyer sanity check because a buyer is not... A buyer will only pay if they see value in it for them. Like that contract, that BP contract, they were willing to pay more. The other buyer was willing to pay more for those 18 patents. But other, other than that, buyers are not going to overpay. Buyers have what I call the buyer sanity check, just like sellers have a, a seller sanity check. So we educate our sellers and we tell them, you know, what they can get. And, and if this is not the right time for them to sell, then they need to build to sell. And they need to plan their exit. And if you want $20 million, then plan a $20 million company. And it's not hard to figure out how to do that, Matt. It's not hard to figure out, okay, if I have a manufacturing company and I want to sell for $20 million, what's the buyer's criteria? What are buyers looking for from a gross revenue standpoint, from a, cost, from a COG standpoint, from a profit margin standpoint? What's the EBITDA need to look like? What's my management team need to look like? And then again, you just take it through the six P's, right? Yep. And build it on the six P's. It's not that difficult, but nobody does it. So this might be kind of a deep rabbit hole, but when you think about re reverse engineering buyer criteria, and I'm sure it varies by buyer type, it varies by company, industry, et cetera, but are there some, some high level strategies or best practices that you think about for, for anybody to, to look at their business today and say, how do I start to reverse engineer you know, what, yeah. I, what I need to be doing? Yeah, I always, I always tell them, you don't know what you don't know. 
So align yourself with an expert, you know, talk to an M&A advisor, pick their brain, ask them, what are, what are manufacturing, what are pegs buying? If pegs are buying manufacturing, I'm in the manufacturing industry and I want to sell my company for $20 million. What do I need to do? Where do my numbers need to be? What do I need to build out? You know, talk, talk to an advisor because advisors more than others. And, you know, you got to find a good advisor because mergers and acquisitions is like anything else. It's like attorneys. There's good attorneys, bad attorneys. There's good doctors, bad doctors. There's good M&A advisors, bad M&A advisors. But, you know, pick the, I, don't, I don't charge my client. I don't charge buyers for that. But buyer calls, I mean, if a seller calls me and wants to know, look, Michelle, this is what I want to do. What's your recommendation? My recommendation is start looking at what buyers are buying in your industry. What are they looking for? What are they wanting to purchase? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. No, that's good advice. Yeah. But I think, you know, the best way to do that is probably to pick a brain of an advisor who deals with these buyers on a daily basis. I mean, we get hundreds upon hundreds of emails from pegs every day looking for specific businesses. And they tell us exactly, Matt, what their criteria is from an industry standpoint, from an EBITDA standpoint, gross revenues. We know their criteria down to the bottom line. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So, this may come back to the six Ps in some ways, but I'm curious when you look at sellers or people selling their businesses, what are typically some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making? Yeah, so that's a good question. Number one is they're not planning their exit. That's the biggest mistake by far. Another big mistake is they're so busy working in their business and not on their business. Most entrepreneurs are visionaries, right? Yeah. Every visionary needs a good integrator. <laughs> Every visionary yep. needs a good integrator because most entrepreneurs are visionaries, not integrators. So they get so busy stuck working in their business instead of working on their business that they're wearing all these different hats and they're filling all these different P's. They're doing processes. They're doing hiring. They're doing interviewing. They're doing client service. They're doing financials. That They can never really grow the business because they're in the business. One of the most important things to do is to make the business run without you. 
And that's what most owners don't do. The other thing is that because I see business owners are kind of entrepreneurs are kind of control freaks. <laughs> They're like, well, you know, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. Well, that's not true because yes, you might do that one thing right, but look at all the other things that just failed because you were doing this. So they're so stuck in their control mode that if they want it done, done right, they need to do it themselves. No, what they need to do is focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. And most entrepreneurs just try to, to be all and do all. I partnered with a graphics company. I'll give you a quick story. Graphics company called me up to sell and it was husband and wife. He said, I asked him right away. I said, why do you want to sell? And they specialize in graphics for first responders. So all the police cars on the road, ambulances, fire trucks, you see, that's their company. And he said, listen, Michelle, I just don't have the business acumen to grow this company to the next level. And he says, it's myself, my wife, and we're doing everything. We're working 14 hours a day and we're about to kill each other and we want a divorce. And then they have one employee who they told their one employee, we're going to sell or close our doors. So of course that one employee gets another job, right? But then he says to me, this is a 10 minute conversation. He says, Michelle, we're known for our quality. We're the best in the industry. We're turning down 6,000 clients a year. And when I heard him say we're turning down 6,000 clients a year, a light bulb went off in my head. I go, whoa, I go, wait, 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 wait. You're not selling the business. You can't sell the business. And he goes, why not? And I said, because you are the business. We take you out of the business. There is no business. If we take the husband and wife out of the business, there is no business. And I said, if you're turning down 6,000 clients a year, all you have right now is a glorified job. What we're going to do is build a business. So I put up money, resources, experience, partnered with them, took them to under a million dollar company to a multi-million dollar company now operating out of 6,000 square feet with 25, 30 employees, and we're expanding throughout the U.S. And I very quickly valued them on the six piece. But I said that story to illustrate to you what happens is entrepreneurs just get in the weeds, you know, they're so in the weeds. And, you know, I call them firefighters. So always putting out fires all day long instead of really growing a business. And that is a huge mistake. Another big mistake that uh, business owners make is they don't know their numbers. They don't know their financials. They have no idea what the business is making. They have no idea. They, they think they're making money and they're like a week away from closing, <laughs> going out of business. And I can't even begin to tell you how many entrepreneurs have people embezzling money from them and they don't even know. And I've caught it in due diligence. I caught the company I told you that we sold for $18 million dollars I was there in due diligence. They had an in-house CPA. This in-house CPA during due diligence, I kept seeing her like shove things underneath in the desk drawers and shove them under the desk and everything. And when she left, I started looking, going through her desk, all these invoices. She was stealing money from the company. So entrepreneurs take their eye off the ball and they don't hire their strengths. They try to do it all. And then they don't really have the balances and the checks in place and the KPI. They're not looking at their KPIs to make sure that they're operating and not losing money or that somebody's stealing money from them. The other mistakes, you want me to keep going? Give me one or two more. Yeah. And then I have a couple <laughs> other questions. Here's another big one that you never want to do. We have, a, we have a manufacturing company that has all 1099s and no employees. 
if a catastrophic event happens 10 1099, which means they have no workers comp, by the way, what do you think is going to happen to that company? They're going to have to either hire everybody or their costs are going to skyrocket or they're going to have some. If they have a catastrophic event, they're going out of business. If somebody loses a limb, oh, yeah, you mean a manufacturing plant. I, I thought you were saying if 1099 went away as like a, because it's oh, yeah, going no. away in a lot of states. So we have a company that's got about 150 people on 1099s. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Catastrophic event occurs, yep. you're out of business. All it takes is one person to get mad at the owner and say, well, we really should be employees, not 1099s. And guess what? They can all form and go report it to the labor board and you got a huge problem on your hand. Not only that, but when we go to sell it, guess what we have to do? We have to convert. We have to do run the numbers and convert them from a 1099 to an employee. And then that's going to be a huge cost difference that will decrease the EBITDA when we go to sell the business. That's yep. a big mistake that business owners make is making people 1099s when they really should be employees. Great insight. So I'm, I want to I wanna get a couple other pointers from the other side of the coin. When you think about buying businesses or investing in companies, what are some strategies that you've seen that are really effective or that can kind of help you on the buy side? I would tell you from the buy side, number one, now are these first time buyers, Matt, or are these serial entrepreneur buyers? I'd say let's let's talk about maybe first time buyers and serial entrepreneurs. I think those are two good segments. I don't think we have a lot of private equity folks listening to the listening okay. to the podcast. So that would be I think those so for, two would be really relevant. So first time buyers have to get crystal clear on what their financials are because I can't tell you how many first time buyers come to us and they have no idea what they're making. I mean, what they can spend on a business. They have no idea how much they're willing to put down or how much they have to put down. You really got to get crystal clear in your financials. And you then you got to get crystal clear on how much you're willing to put down. Because you can buy a business, Matt, by using your retirement fund and taking that money out without paying any interest or penalties whatsoever to purchase a business. It's called redirect from your retirement fund. But... You got to be comfortable enough to pull the trigger. So if, if a first-time buyer has a half million dollars, how much are they comfortable spending? They need to get crystal clear with that. So if they say, I'm only interested in spending 300000 then guess what? Just spend that $300,000 and look for businesses in that realm. Then also look for what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are you good at? What's your passion? Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, I'm a first-time buyer. I'm going to go buy a restaurant. That's the worst thing for you to buy. <laughs> That's the last thing you should be buying because restaurants are nightmares and you really need to be cut out to own, to be a restaurant operator. We had a lady that came to us, had been in banking for 30 something years. She was about to retire. She called us and wanted to buy a restaurant and I started asking her questions and she had zero restaurant experience, never worked in a restaurant. And I told her, I said, what are you trying to accomplish? She goes, well, look, I have $300,000 and 50,000 for working capital and I just want to make more than what I'm making right now. Right now I'm making 130,000 a year. I put her into a business with real estate that's making $400,000 a year, did seller financing. So she put $300,000 down. She kept, on, she kept her $50,000 working capital. And she made, even after debt service, she was making over $300,000 a year. Then she started growing the business. Now she's making over half a million a year. So Good the deal. other, yes. Yeah, so the other advice I have for buyers is to find an advisor to work with because we will have those type of businesses. Typically, most business owners will want to work with a business broker or mergers and acquisitions advisor. Now, we do larger deals, but they'll want to work with our mergers and acquisitions advisor because of confidentiality. 
they don't want everyone knowing that they're selling their business. They want to keep that secret. They don't want their employees, customers, vendors, anybody finding out. So they will come to us for confidentiality. Plus, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to sell a company. So I always tell first-time buyers, get crystal clear on your strengths, weaknesses, passions, and get crystal clear on what you can afford to put down and then find an advisor to work with. As far as serial entrepreneurs, same thing. Work with an advisor because we have, the, we have good deals. But I will tell you right now, not my businesses, because my business owners are not going to do this, and I won't allow them to do this. <laughs> but right now, for a serial entrepreneur, let me give you some secret sauce here. Let me give you some inside secret secrets. So for if you really want to go out right now, this is COVID, right? You can get so many great deals and so many great businesses that are barely holding on, or they're holding on, but they want to sell because the owner's tired. He's like 70-something years old. He doesn't want to keep doing it, but it is making money. You can use the assets of the business to buy the business. You can use the, the cash in the business. You can use, you can borrow against the equipment, you know, maybe even a factoring loan against the receivables. You can literally use the assets. Now, I won't allow that for my sellers to do that. I've had three offers on one manufacturing company in the last two weeks where they're trying to use the assets to buy the company. I'm like, nope, go find somebody else because <laughs> you're not doing that with my clients. But you, ha you, you, know, you can go out and you can find those businesses and do that. If, if that's not important to you and you need an advisor to help you find some of the best deals out there, then align yourself with an advisor. If not, do it on your own and try to use the assets of the company to buy the business. There are over $30.2 At any given time, 40% of companies will be up for sale. So that's a great insight. And I want to tell me a little bit more. So when you say use the assets of the company to buy the business, are you talking about something as simple as just doing a leverage buyout using an SBA loan, something like that? Or are you saying more nuanced, like using asset-backed ba asset lending, that kind of stuff? Like, Tell me more about that. That's yeah, strategy. no, I'm not talking about S SBA or asset-based lending. Nope. I'm talking about giving an LOI to, to an owner where you say, okay, I'm going to pay you a million dollars for your business and I will give you 400000 cash when we close and I will pay the difference over the next four years at this interest rate and that 400000 cash is coming from the cash in the company. That's insane. Yeah. People will it happens. It happens. That's what I told you. I'm giving you inside <laughs> secrets. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. So they're yeah. not selling on a cash-free, debt-free basis. They're just using the company's checking account to pay the down payment. Yeah. And so I have a really good manufacturing business that we're selling that that specializes in a specific industry, a niche industry. I'm not going to tell you because they're the only ones that do what they do. So I've had three offers like that where... They say, okay, well, I'll give you $1.5 million cash at closing, pay the balance in the next four years, and then we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and I'm negotiating on my client's behalf, and then I get the LOI. And then <laughs> they're saying in the LOI, the cash for the business. I'm like, no, 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 no. We'll leave enough working capital, which is a combination of accounts receivables and inventory, but you're not getting my client's cash to buy the business. He's not going to use his cash to buy his own business with. So, but yeah, but there are business owners that are desperate. There are business owners that will do it and it happens. Yeah. That blows my mind. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, there's actually different companies out there to teach how to buy businesses with no money down. Kind of like buying real estate with no money down. Yep. I'm familiar yeah. with the, some of the Roland Frazier's of the world. And it's 
folks that kind of yeah. teach those methodologies. But well, yeah, I know Roland very well, and Roland's one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, he's a wizard <laughs> at that. There's no doubt about that. Well, Roland and I, so I, Roland and I spoke at an event together, and I spoke right after him. I said, Roland. First of all, Roland, you will never, ever want to buy any of my businesses, and I'll never let you or your students, <laughs> number one. <laughs> but number two, come to me when you're ready to sell them. That's right. Because on That's a right. sales side, because it's funny, because I'm one of Roland's students that's trying to sell a business through me, and on a sales side, it's very different, right? On a sales side, the seller doesn't want to do that, but this same student wants to buy companies like that. And I said, well, then let the buyer buy it like that. He's like, no. <laughs> gonna do that so but yeah Roland's one of them I buy companies as well I flip them I also partner with business owners putting up cash it's really funny well Roland's a previous guest on the show and so we'll we'll throw that interview in the show notes as well but this has been this has been super insightful Michelle for for listeners who want to find you and and your work online what is the best place for them to go and and do that so I think all of your listeners should go buy Exit Rich, <laughs> Exit Rich, because right now, Matt, we are offering Exit Rich at twenty four seventy nine, which includes shipping. They will get the immediate download, the digital download immediately. Plus, they'll get access into our free book membership, or they'll get video training from me. But they'll also get due diligence checklist, LOI samples, purchase agreement samples, even closing document samples. Plus, they'll get a 30-day membership into club CEOs. And then when the book comes out, we will ship it to their doorstep. And they can get that at exitrichbook.com, exitrichbook.com. And then they can find me at silotucker.com. Well, Michelle, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you coming in, sharing some inside baseball from the, uh, from the world of mergers and acquisitions. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.